Support for this podcast comes from Simply Faster. Simply Faster provides in-depth articles covering speed training, sport science, and the use of technology in sport. Authored by high school, collegiate, and professional track and field and strength and conditioning coaches. Make sure to check them out at simplyfaster.com. Welcome to episode 99 of the Historic Performance Podcast featuring Devin McConnell, head hockey sports performance coach at University of Massachusetts, Lowell. After a standout career as an ice hockey player at Fitchburg State, where Devin was twice recognized as the team's most valuable player and in contention for All-American honors, he decided to pursue his passion of becoming a sports performance coach. His first job out of college was at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning. My career kind of started with him. I, I was you know, going all the way back to, as an undergrad, fortunate enough to be able to do an internship uh, working for him and then uh, be invited back basically the following summer to continue to, to work at his facility. Mike is, is well known and, and sort of really almost kind of developed strength and conditioning in ice hockey. I mean, he was the, the BU, Boston University strength coach for hockey for I don't know, 25 or 30 years, uh, the Boston Bruins, et cetera. So he kind of, he, he's been influential in a, a huge way in, in the hockey strength and conditioning world. And, and uh, for myself, he, um, from very early on, took me on and, and has been a, a, a mentor to me. Everything that I've been able to achieve and everywhere I've gone has been um, very uh, influenced by Mike. So I've been fortunate that way. After his time with Mike Boyle, Devin was appointed as a sports performance coordinator at Stanford University in 2008, where he worked with women's basketball and men's and women's volleyball for three years. In September 2011, Devin was named the first director of sports performance in UMass Lowell's history, a role that he fulfilled until 2014, when he transitioned to solely working with the ice hockey program. Since working with ice hockey, Devin has continuously sought to refine his trade and integrate sports science and sports performance. Throughout this process, Devin has become interested in the concept of tactical periodization after gaining exposure to it via Dave Tenney of the Seattle Sounders. First time I think I realized that I was being exposed to the concepts of tactical periodization goes back to, to Dave Tenney with the Seattle Sounders. Tended his second uh, sports performance conference, the second year that he hosted it. Um, and that was one of the first places that I think I was exposed to it was was at Dave's conference and talking with Dave and getting to know him. And um, I know that he was um, uh, influenced by the the, the concepts uh, of tactical periodization. And he spoke a lot and wrote a lot about sort of utilizing those concepts and that methodology with, uh, with the Sounders. Following this exposure, Devin then took those concepts and applied it into collegiate ice hockey, being the first program to do so. Which leads us to today's conversation, where Devin talks about how he utilized the concepts of tactical periodization and applied it to NCAA ice hockey. He talks about physiological monitoring and also recovery and regeneration. Enjoy the conversation. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Historic Performance Podcast. Today I'm happy to be joined by Devin Connell. Devin, how are you today? I'm doing great, how are you? I'm doing really well. I'm uh, looking forward to the 4th of July tomorrow. I'm glad that uh, we are able to get this recording in the day before. Yeah, me too. It, it'll be a 
a nice uh, family day and then sort of back to the grind. But I'm glad that we could connect here. Definitely. Devin, to start us off, you're at UMass Lowell. Um, a lot of the listeners may not know about UMass Lowell. You work specifically with their collegiate hockey program. So to get a general sense, could you give us an overview of the collegiate hockey scene? How long the season is, how many universities are possibly involved, and where UMass Lowell sits in this within their specific conference, and kind of a bit about their history as a hockey program? Yeah, I know you have a, a very international listenership, so ice hockey is what we're talking about. I know it's hockey is field hockey, a lot of other places. So I work primarily with our ice hockey team. UMass Lowell is uh, in the Boston, Massachusetts area. We're about 45 minutes from Boston. We are a, uh, a member of the Hockey East Conference, which includes schools like Boston College, Boston University, uh, the University of Maine, Providence College. We're one of the uh, sort of top, the premier college hockey conferences across the country. Our conference has either won the national championship or, or had a team in the Frozen Four for somewhere in the last, at least once in the last 10 years, uh, every year for the last 10 years or so, and has consistently been one of the, the sort of high-profile high conferences uh, for college hockey. Uh, we've been fortunate uh, here at Lowell. I've been here for almost seven years uh, with our the rest of our coaching staff. Came in about seven years ago, and we've been fortunate enough to to earn some success here. We've won the uh, the conference championship three times. We've won the, the in-season championship a couple times. So we've been very fortunate there and had some success. The college hockey season as a whole is uh, one of the longest collegiate sporting seasons, in-seasons, that there is, we um, we start playing games at the beginning of, beginning of October, and the Frozen Four, the championship, is usually mid-April. So we'll go, uh, you know, basically classes will start September 1st, and we'll have about a month of preseason, and then get into games, and it's it's almost the entire academic uh, season or academic year consists of the uh, the hockey schedule. Hockey schedule. Typically, how many games are you playing per week? Uh, we typically play two games, so. College hockey is set up really nicely from a developmental standpoint in that uh, almost all of our games will be Friday and Saturday, so we play back-to-back almost every week. Most of our in-conference games, at least, are pretty close, so we're also fortunate that way. Our longest in-season, in-conference trip is about four hours. Um, most of our, our teams, our, our schools, are uh, within a couple, of, a couple of hours of the Boston area, so it's nice that way. Uh, and we'll play upwards of uh, 40 to 45 games a season. Earlier this summer, you've given a couple of presentations. And one of the key areas that I want to talk about within today's podcast is how you have integrated the concept of tactical periodization within ice hockey, because this is actually a fairly novel idea when it comes to ice hockey. What are the key methodological principles that you have taken from the concept of tactical periodization and you have utilized it at UMass Lowell within the context of collegiate hockey. Yeah, so I think the the key concepts that I've been able to pull from tactical periodization uh, and, and implement here and, and had some success with our coaching staff as far as um, sort of uh, integrating these ideas is really about the sort of collaboration of on and off ice stress and understanding the idea that there's a physiological load that's occurring during practices and games that is not necessarily interpreted by the body and by the brain as different than the load that we would apply in the weight room. 
I think uh, traditionally, Isaki coaches tend to see what happens on the ice as one thing and what happens in the weight room as a separate thing. And we know as physical you know, preparation coaches that stress is stress and uh, that we need to account for, for stress no matter where it's sort of occurring. So one of the things that I think we've been able to do here successfully is really look at training load on the ice and understand what physiological adaptations that potentially is driving and be able to better integrate those loads with our traditional sort of weight room training loads uh, to hopefully push physical development uh, a little further from more of a holistic manner than, um, than, you know, hopefully our competitors. Absolutely. As you mentioned, um, many ice hockey coaches, they kind of see it as being separate, what's going on in the weight room and then what's going on the ice. And sometimes they may not necessarily understand that what they're doing on the ice has a physiological impact. So how did you go about explaining that concept or that idea to your coaching staff? Yeah, I'm, well, I think first off, it's important to kind of touch on or to understand. I, I'm, I'm big on education. I, I think it's important both for our players and for our staff to understand why we're doing what we're doing. You know, when it comes to, to training with our players, I want them to understand the point of all the exercises we do, of all the, the methodology. They don't need to be necessarily a, have the understanding that we do, but I think it's important for them to understand why we're doing what we're doing and how that relates to their goals. The same process applies with our coaching staff. I'm constantly um, communicating with them and trying to educate them, speak you know their language and on their terms as far as why we're doing what we're doing in the weight room and how uh, that's going to affect the on-ice product and vice versa, what they're doing on the ice and how that may positively or negatively uh, affect physical development. And, you know, we have a program here at, at Lowell that's very development-minded. For us to be successful, uh, we need to develop our players over the course of three or four years. So it's important for us from sort of a, a program philosophy standpoint to really emphasize physical development. So in, in that regards, it's been, it's been an easy sell because I can speak to the, to the staff about how, you know, these types of loads will, you know, present in this manner from a performance standpoint, from a recovery standpoint, uh, and that if we, if we manage those loads and we periodize how we practice, uh, in a logical manner that we can, we can sort of, uh, improve the long-term development of our athletes. And one of the big tools that's been beneficial for us is, is using heart rate technology and being able to show over time how the, the, the loading of practices and games affects uh, recovery ability, uh, which is a, a huge component for us being an intermittent sport and, and also using things like uh, heart rate variability to show, you know, when we structure things a certain way, we tend to peak our readiness uh, on game day. And then, you know, being able to, to relate those things to the staff has been really helpful for us. Before we go on to talk about what a structured week looks like within UMass Lowell Hockey, one of the areas that I do want to touch upon is kind of the, the game model. So what is the type of hockey that UMass Lowell likes to play and how does that influence later on the way you go about structuring your week? So perhaps you could talk a little bit about the way the coaching staff wants UMass Lowell to play. Yeah, so our sort of on the the tactical side of things for us, we we play a very structured, high tempo, aggressive game. Um, we're not, we're typically not 
the most talented team in our conference, but we play a very structured and aggressive style. So it's important for us uh, to be able to, uh, as we say in hockey, to roll four lines. So we'll play uh, pretty evenly our first line through our fourth line of forwards and our, our uh, first D pair through our, our last defensive pair. We'll play relatively evenly throughout a game. Uh, so that we have sort of fresh legs and we have we can play at a high tempo. We also try to play very aggressively. So our 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 players need to be able to you know perform perform what they need to do every shift at a very high pace uh, and recover quickly. We also tend to play a pretty physical style of hockey, um, so that we need to kind of have um, the makeup of our team and our our players tend to be pretty kind of gritty. Uh, we, we see ourselves as kind of a blue-collar type team. Uh, and so those are sort of the, from a tactical standpoint, some of the, some of the characteristics, characteristics of our squad and the things that we need to be able to uh, achieve uh, night in and night out. Having taken this holistic approach, perhaps you could take us throughout a week. So starting on a Sunday and assuming that you have a Friday and Saturday back-to-back game, what does the week look like within the UMass Lowell uh, ice hockey system? Yeah, so uh, it'll vary a little bit uh, throughout the year, uh, depending on what some of our, our data tells us and the interpretation of that by our staff. But typically, uh, Sunday is going to be an off day for us. So we'll play Friday, Saturday. Sunday is going to be an off day. Um, most of our players will uh, perform some sort of uh, active recovery on their own that day, whether it be a flush ride or... Um, just a roll and a stretch or something like that, but it's uh, we have to have a mandatory off day, so Sunday tends to be that day. We'll practice Monday, have a light or off day on Tuesday, practice Thursday, Friday, and the the structure of that week will typically look from sort of a volume intensity standpoint. Monday will be more of a, a moderate intensity, longer volume day on the ice more dedicated towards the technical abilities. So it's more of like a skill session day, uh, more of a individual skill power skating day. We'll have our, our skating instructor come out and work on the technical aspects of skating, uh, less of a, a tactical uh, day for us. From a training, an off-ice training standpoint, we will typically lift that day and that will be more of our more of our, our strength speed kind of base day, so a little bit of a heavier day, heavier loading day. Tuesday, again, is going to be uh, either off or a pretty low-intensity short day. So we, we follow basically kind of a high-low model. Uh, so Monday being um, more of a high day, Tuesday a low day. Wednesdays are our primary kind of work day. We're going to be more in the weight room, more of a, a speed strength power type day. So higher velocities, uh, somewhat lower loads. Uh, on the ice is going to be um, a higher-intensity a little bit higher volume day, relatively speaking. Uh, so we're going to do more of our our sort of energy system emphasis kind of work that day on the ice. And we'll also uh, implement our uh, whatever strategy, whatever, whatever uh, tactical strategy we're going to have for the upcoming weekend. Uh, we'll really emphasize on that day. Thursday being the day before a game, we will actually have a, a pretty high tempo, high intensity, very low volume day. So it's going to be very short, but it's going to consist of a lot of what we would call kind of battle drills, a lot of competitive drills to essentially from a, a common sense standpoint, I like to say is we're basically trying to get ready to play the way we need to play. So again, that sort of physical aggressive style of play, high tempo, 
but we want to limit fatigue. So it's going to be very low volume. So it ends up being uh, almost a, a nervous system preparatory kind of day. And off the ice, um, prior to practice, we'll uh, do some speed uh, and plyometric type work. So real low volume, but some, some high intensity, high speed kind of alactic type work that day. And then again, Friday uh, is game day. Um, we'll typically uh, perform some, some uh, high intensity alactic uh, type of uh, sprints and plyometrics before we get uh, uh, finish our warm up and get on the ice for the game. And then uh, Saturday is game day as well. And so uh, we'll structure our sort of off ice warm up a little bit based on fatigue levels and readiness levels and things like that. But it'll follow sort of the same suit as Friday night. When it comes to measuring the physiological impact of the different practices, what type of external and internal load measures are you utilizing? Yeah, so we look at a couple of things. Um, the, I guess primary pieces of data, subjectively, we do a subjective questionnaire uh, pre-practice uh, or game every day. And then after the fact, we do a, a session RPE. Uh, and so we'll, we'll put all that data, collect all that data into, we use Coach Me Plus as our AMS uh, athlete management system. So we'll, we'll put all the subjective data in. Uh, and then objective data, we'll look at heart rate variability uh, pre every day. And then we typically utilize TRIMP from our heart rate system uh, and what we call intensity density, which is basically uh, TRIMP per minute uh, to look at sort of a, a density score. Um, so those are the main metrics that we're going to look at to get a broad picture of uh, sort of on the front end what our, what our athletes are uh, ready to do capable of doing that day and then on the back end to analyze what actually happened uh, and you use both of those sort of pieces of the pie pieces of information to make more informed decisions uh, moving forward so that we can uh, sort of straddle the line between long-term development and short-term readiness in a collegiate setting you have limited amount of time in in terms of uh s and uh in season and then off season you have specific allotted amount of hours that you can interact with with the players just from a logistical standpoint how do you go about collecting this information uh where is it within the specific day and how long does it typically take yeah so so our setup is really nice in that uh our basically our block of time for the the student athletes to be engaged with the you know within the team is in the morning from basically nine to noon. Uh, so our athletes take all their classes in the afternoon and the evening. Uh, a typical day, uh, the, the players will come in. They should have done their questionnaire uh, prior to coming in you know, on their phone, on their app. Uh, so we have some data before they've even gotten to the rink. As soon as we get there, our weight room is adjacent to our, our uh, hockey operations area, our offices and our locker room, et cetera. So we're, we're right in, in-house. So the team will come in. The heart rate straps on. We'll immediately lay down. We'll do our our heart rate variability test, five minute test. Then we'll go into our our dynamic warm up and whatever prep work we're going to do for that day uh, for practice. Um, depending on the day, if it's a training day, one of the things I didn't mention as far as our, our kind of monitoring setup, uh, we'll do a lot of um, jump metrics. We use uh, we look at a bunch of different types of jump metrics, but from a readiness standpoint, we look at RSI from a, a drop jump onto a, a contact mat. And we'll use that to help auto-regulate uh, some of our lift. So uh, once we've done our warm-up, we'll, we'll do our 
our RSI jump, our drop jump, uh, get our R- RSI score, um, and use that. We'll punch that into our system as we continue our warm up. So the logistically, literally, we have a dashboard set up on the TV in the weight room, and once those numbers are in, the athlete knows exactly kind of where they're at, and that will everything is a system. So they know exactly if they come up red, if they come up green, if they come up blue, what that means uh, for them uh, individually, what they need to adjust in training. Um, we'll go through our training session, whether that be a lift, whether that be sort of a speed emphasis day, whatever it might be. Typically in season, we're in the weight room no longer than about 40 minutes. And then we will go right to the locker room, get dressed, get on the ice. Uh, after the fact, and you know, the whole time I'm collecting heart rate data after practice, they'll come back and finish uh, with me doing some regen work um, based around what the primary stressors of the day are. They'll do their the rest of their subjective, you know, uh, session RPE stuff uh, and leave for the day. So their their entire block of time uh, at the arena is you know three hours or less, and they're specifically with me for maybe an hour of that, probably less than that. Um, so that's how we kind of have it set up. But uh, it it is a it is a challenge. Uh, the time frames we're only allowed, you know, a, a specific amount of time per week uh, to be with the student athletes in, you know, specifically in the weight room, and so everything needs to be sort of built into to a system so the athletes know exactly what to do, when to do it, uh, and, and what adjustments to make based on that. So everything is sort of tied into training. A lot of our jump uh, profiling is built into our training program, so um, we do a lot of, you know complexes and things like that where we're collecting data but it's also part of training um, to try to minimize minimize the touch on the athlete because we don't want them having to do a hundred more things with us we need them to be in here the least amount of time possible so they can go play hockey and they go to class Uh, at the same time we need to have a a consistent way to uh, collect and interpret data and then be able to push that data out to make decisions it's we all know it's pointless just to collect data to to collect data we need to be able to use that quickly Uh, so we need to be able to collect that analyze that i need to be able to communicate that with the staff or with the players where necessary so that we can move forward and make the best uh best choice possible Devin, you just mentioned a color coding system that is on a dashboard that the players are looking at and then depending on that they know how they're going to modify their training schedule for that day could you tell us a little bit more about the color coding system, um, how it's determined um, those specific colors, and also what modifications the players know they need to make based on that color that they have gone for the day? Yeah. So basically, we have set up in our uh, Coach Me Plus dashboard that we basically just punch up on the TV the RSI score that they get um, relative to their to the last month's score. So it's almost a, an acute chronic workload type of idea. Based on wherever they score that day relative to the last month of scores, uh, they will get um, one of four colors basically will pop up on their their picture up on the TV. The, the scores are based off of their uh, the Z scores. Um, so it's all individualized. While the four colors, there's blue uh, is uh, far above their average. Green is above the average. Yellow is uh, essentially within an average uh, ratio, and then red is below average. Uh, blue, I believe, off the top of my head without looking, is like one standard deviation above their norm. Green is uh, half a standard deviation above, and red, I believe, is 
one standard deviation below something along those lines. It's, it's a little bit arbitrary, um, but the numbers have kind of worked out for us over the course of the year. This is the first year we've done it. So it's, um, it's been a little bit of an experiment. Uh, and basically what it's telling us or what we're trying to gather is, is a, a little bit better picture of central nervous system function. Um, so we have, we use HRV, so we're getting the autonomic system. We're looking at the central nervous system and just trying to get a better picture of kind of how the athlete's firing, what their sort of readiness level is from that standpoint. Um, so we collect the data, uh, we quickly punch it into the computer, it automatically feeds out into the dashboard system, and it pops up with a color for each athlete. The athlete then knows, again, everything's sort of built into a, a system, uh, they know that uh, depending on their color, they're going to adjust their uh, loading or their volume in their two primary lifts for that day. So typically, we're going to perform some type of explosive lift, be it an Olympic lift variation or a loaded jump um, variation, and a lower body pushing exercise. Typically for us, it's going to be a rear foot elevated split squat. Uh, for example, if uh, an athlete is uh, you know, jumping really well that day, they jump through the roof and they're really fast, so their RSI number is uh, very high relative to their average, they're, they come up with a blue, and they know that they need to increase the uh, load in both of those exercises by 10 to 20 pounds. If they are green, they need to, uh, so they're, they're jumping pretty well, they're above average, they're not exceptional that day, but they're firing pretty well. They want to increase their load uh, by uh, five to 10 pounds. If they're yellow, we basically just stay with what's uh, planned, what's programmed for the day, with what's on their worksheet. And if they're red, um, they have uh, the option to cut volume by one set uh, or to basically communicate with me that they feel really good, they want to keep going where they're at, and we'll make a decision together that they basically stay with what's on the sheet. So uh, the system is set up to be um, really easy to interpret. If they're blue, they know what they do. If they're green, yellow, red, they know what they do. And at the same time, allows for some competition within the athletes. And in my opinion, doesn't necessarily give the athlete an out if they are uh, not performing well because that's still going to spur a conversation between the two of us and we'll make sort of a joint decision uh, about what, what they're going to do moving forward and whether I feel like it's important for them to back off, whether they feel like that's important, uh, or whether we both agree that uh, regardless of what the data says, we can keep, uh, keep pushing forward and keep trying to develop. Now I want to move on to the time period once the student-athletes have left. So you have collected all of the data prior to the weight room session, and also from practice. At this point, you talked about using the data in order to inform the coaching staff. So what does that process look like? I'm sure it's something that's evolved over the past seven years, but from, a, from the coaching staff perspective, what type of information do they want from you? It's different for everybody. Um, so we have a, our staff essentially consists of a head coach, uh, two assistant coaches, um, a director of ho hockey ops, uh, and our head athletic trainer. So each one of these people is interested in slightly different information, and they are interested in getting it in a little bit different form. Uh, for example, our head coach doesn't have any time, doesn't have any want or need for any type of uh, formal reporting on a day-to-day -day standpoint. Uh, and he really just wants to know from me uh, sort of what their 
what their recovery level was, what their readiness was. Uh, and if I saw anything that was out of the ordinary, um, outside of that, the communication, uh, is very informal. So we just have a quick conversation. Uh, what did I see? Uh, I asked him if he saw the same thing or saw anything different and if there's anything he'd like me to, to take a look at. So it's pretty, pretty short and sweet with them. Uh, with our two assistant coaches, they, uh, are more interested in, in the data. Uh, and so sometimes, uh, it's just a conversation. Sometimes they're interested in seeing some visual representation of whatever it may be, whatever the, the question might be. And at that point, um, I would come up with, uh, just a, a one page type report, uh, to look at the specific question. A lot of times it's about a specific athlete. You know, this guy looked really slow today. What's his last week's, uh, you know, heart rate variability numbers been or something like that. Uh, and so I'll shoot them just a quick, uh, kind of one page synopsis of, of whatever the specific information is they're looking for, uh, as well as giving them just a, a general, um, sort of roundup of what the training load stress was relative to what we typically want that day. Was it on target? Was it above? Was it below our hockey ops guy? Uh, same type of thing. A lot of times, uh, he doesn't really have any questions or interest outside of the, the basic information. And once in a while, he'll see something on video that he's curious about and, and would like me to, to take a look at a little bit deeper. And typically, our uh, our head of athletic training and myself will just have more of a verbal conversation about uh, what we're seeing. We're typically, you know, we're basically on the bench together the whole practice anyway. Um, so we're pretty informal that from that standpoint. Once a week on Sundays uh, after the week, I will uh, put a more formal uh, report on paper and send that out Sunday night as both a, a synopsis of, of the loading throughout that week, along with our results. I'll include sort of an interpretation of that. So I'm not just giving them raw data, but I'm saying, okay, here's some graphs, here's some pictures of what we're seeing or what I'm seeing. This is what this means to me and, and my interpretation of it. And moving forward, this is my opinion of uh, what we should do over the next week. Um, one of the things our staff uh, wants from me is uh, sort of my, what my plan would be if I were essentially the head coach from a physiological standpoint, what would this look like? What would we do this week if we were just thinking about these things in terms of physiology? And it's not necessarily the path that we'll take, but they like to hear from me uh, what my perspective is from sort of the physical loading standpoint. From the physical loading standpoint, you mentioned that there's specific targets that just from a physiological standpoint, you're looking to hit on specific days. Where are those numbers coming from? Yeah, the, the main thing we'll look at from a day-to-day -day standpoint is total volume, pretty simple, just how long we're doing, what we're doing. And then intensity density tends to be the, the primary metric. So trim per minute uh, is really a good indicator of sort of the load that we're applying to the athlete on the ice. Uh, that's the main, probably the main um, metric from an internal training load standpoint that we're going to look at and utilize and that's going to give us the best has at least traditionally has given us the best insight into the the acute and chronic loading um, picture as far as what we're what type of stress how much stress we're applying to the athlete and by now kind of like i said seven years in we have a pretty good picture of what what typically works for our team and our program um, both from a, a long-term development standpoint as well as within that week how is this, you know, what are the volumes and intensities that equate to 
the highest or typically high readiness scores moving into the weekend. Are you also have you also been able to collect uh, heart rate data from games or is it just practices? Yes, we are able to uh, in college hockey. We can collect uh, game data, so our athletes wear their heart rate belt for everything that we do: practice, game, training. Um, so we have uh, we collect game data, and that goes into uh, sort of our entire collection of training load. So we we use that as well especially later in the season, to be able to look at the bench gets shortened somewhat and, and our top lines play a little bit more. And we have, you know, we typically run a pretty deep roster. So by the, the second half of the year, there's some players that aren't playing as much. Game data becomes very useful because now we have an idea of uh, what type of work we need to do to keep our, our substitutes on par. And at the same time, we can look at the loading from games from our players who are playing a lot more minutes. And uh, we, we have a better idea of where we can cut back on volumes uh, uh, in practice or off the ice uh, because they're getting that, that type of load. They're getting an adequate load in games. So the game data becomes very important um, for us and, and including looking long term at, again, the, sort of the acute and chronic workload standpoint, knowing what happens in games um, and how those, what those games look like over the course of a year from uh, an intensity density and a heart rate recovery standpoint is, is really helpful for us. Devin, the last area that I want to cover since we're talking about this holistic approach that you're taking at UMass Lowell is that of recovery. And this could be a whole podcast in and of itself. You're playing on a Friday and then you might be playing on a Saturday. So it's back to back. How do you go about in terms of that quick turnaround from Friday to Saturday to ensure that you're giving the players the best possible uh, recovery within those that small window? Yeah, so re- recovery and regeneration is a big part of our program. I think um, just like just like training, consistency is probably the, the most important factor. So we will do something pretty much every day from a regeneration standpoint. We try to tailor our modalities or our techniques to uh, the the – First off, the primary type of stress from that day. So, is it more of a, a metabolic day? Is it more of a, a you know a, a high nervous system intensity type day? Uh, those will potentially elicit somewhat different modalities. Um, we'll do something something every day after practice. Uh, on game day, we basically look at it as uh, it's you know it's every type of stress that the the athlete's going to encounter. There's a high uh, CNS load. Uh, there's a high metabolic load, um, so we'll we'll uh, kind of I don't want to say throw the kitchen sink at the athlete, but we'll do a number of things post game as well as uh, and maybe most importantly uh, from a nutritional standpoint. Uh, at least at home, we're able to um, work with our our you know our arena university chef uh, to really uh, develop. We've developed some some really good post game meals that are tailored towards. Uh, not just being stuff that the athletes want to eat, but that are, are uh, geared towards regeneration. So uh, trying to reduce inflammation and uh, increase hydration and things like that post-game, uh, as well as uh, sleep uh, is, is one of the most crucial things uh, post-game on Friday. And we all know that you know sleep is the biggest recovery tool that there is. So we've tried to uh, give the athletes foods that will help them uh, calm down from a 
uh, a nervous system standpoint uh, and relax uh, and help them get to get to sleep that night because that's probably the biggest component from a regen standpoint Friday night is how much how much rest our athletes can get it's really hard to unwind after after a hockey game Friday night where you're not leaving the arena until 1130 at night so the faster we can help them get to sleep uh, the better and that'll even include things like turning the lights down in the in the weight room while we do our our regeneration and playing baroque classical music which has been shown to help uh, decrease sympathetic tone and increase parasympathetic tone so those are some of the strategies that we take again it's about consistency across the week not just what we're doing uh, on one given day um, but we try to tailor things towards the primary stressors and then on game day really look at um, you know understand that there's a, a wide range of uh, high level stress that the athletes are under and try to uh, accommodate for each of those you mentioned giving the athletes um some form of nutrition that will help aid and promote sleep. What would be some of those uh, foods that the nutrition is recommending to help promote that? Yeah, so just things, um, uh, you know, nothing crazy, protein and carbohydrate, balanced meals that um, we try to pick our proteins that have higher levels of tryptophan to try to induce, again, some some calming effects and things like that, um, as well as, you know, tart cherry juice and, and tart cherries and things like that. Uh, we have probably a, a little bit higher sodium content, um, certainly on Friday night, uh, to help, uh, with some of the, the hydration issues. Um, so those are some of the, the specific kind of things that our, our chef and our nutritionists have, have worked on to try to improve, uh, some of those, those issues post game. One of my favorite questions to ask, what is the most impactful quote or statement said by a mentor or a colleague throughout your entire career? Um, and why was it so impactful to you? Yeah. Um, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I learned that from Mike Boyle. Um, not sure if that was from Mike or from somebody else that, that he heard it from, but that's a that quote probably encapsulates how I try to coach, how I try to teach. Um, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, hockey's got a great culture, a great training culture. Um, the athletes, for the most part, embrace good sort of weight room training. Uh, they they understand it's it's built into the game. They understand how it can help them, and and it's it's something they come up with. But they still don't come here to be weightlifters. They still come here to be hockey players. Them understanding that I care about them as people, not just as hockey players, them understanding that everything we do is about helping them achieve their goals uh, is really, really important. The more they believe that, the more they feel that, the better relationship we have, the the more buy-in there is. So that's, that's a really important quote for me and something that I, I really try to live by with our athletes. Devin, if anybody wants to reach out to you or discuss anything that you mentioned on the podcast, what is the best way they can contact you? Yeah, uh, Twitter and Instagram, uh, at dmcconnell29 for both of those. Um, I'm pretty uh, active on social media. Uh, email, by all means, dmcconnell29 at gmail.com. I'm happy to uh, happy to hear from people and have discussion and, and answer any questions. So um, any of those, any of those are great. Fantastic, Devin. I appreciate you coming on the podcast and sharing what you're doing at UMass Lowell. 
and also giving out your contact information so individuals can uh, reach out and discuss anything that you mentioned on the podcast that might be of interest to them. Well, thank you very much for having me on. It's uh, it's quite an honor. I've been a fan of the podcast for a long time, and the uh, the previous speakers before me are uh, have been outstanding uh, from all over the world, and so I'm I'm real honored to uh, to be able to share the little bit that I do and and uh, come on here and talk shop. Devin, it was a pleasure, and have a great Fourth of July. Thanks a lot. You too. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Historic Performance Podcast. Next week marks a unique milestone, which is episode 100. And for that episode, we have an excellent guest, Dr. Tony Strudwick, head of performance at Manchester United, who discusses athletic development, the future of sports science, but more uniquely, his relationship with Sir Alex Ferguson. So Sir Alex is, is had a very simple philosophy in terms of carrying a, a large number of number of players so I think Sir Alex wanted to carry about 26 players so essentially that's two teams so our job really was to to create a, a model of performance that that ensured every player was was pretty f- physically prepared to come into the team when they needed to be be on the lookout for that podcast next Wednesday if you enjoyed today's episode or any previous episode and listen to this podcast via iTunes I would greatly appreciate it if you either leave a review or a rating Make sure to check us out on Twitter at Historic Perform, where we post all of the latest episodes. And for all show notes, go to the website historicperformance.net. I'll see all of you next week.